Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. Hey! Hey, buddy, what's the deal? What are you talking about? Throw something in my garbage can? I threw garbage in your garbage can. Yeah, that's my garbage can. So? I appreciate it if you want to do that. Doesn't garbage belong in a garbage can? Yeah. Aren't you doing... My garbage belongs in my garbage can. Your garbage belongs in your garbage can, okay? Well, what's the difference? Conversations about collaboration, episode 35. Airslate CEO Borya Shaknavich and I discuss the obstacles that inhibit organizations from automating manual business processes. We also talk about small businesses, change management, and the economics of automation. Let's get it on. Borya, where does this pod find you? Uh, right now, we uh, I am in my office in Kiev. Um, in one of our five offices that we have globally. That you never felt so good as to be back in an office, huh? That's right. Yes, yeah. that's absolutely right. All right. Let's bust right into it. Um, I'm of the opinion, something tells me you'll agree, that companies are still doing a lot of things manually. That might have worked if I could drop a form off or go up to you in an office. But when things became distributed with a pandemic, I'd argue that in many cases, it highlighted companies' manual processes, right? And yeah, we tried to replicate them, maybe through Teams, maybe through Zoom, but that's easier said than done. Am I completely wrong? No, absolutely right. And I think that that has a lot to do with the digitization on one end uh, of, of processes and of businesses in general. And it also has to do with uh, a large amount of data augmentation, which is an ongoing process, which has accelerated over the last three to five years. Say more about data augmentation in case listeners aren't familiar with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the more we think about the uh, transformation of businesses into the digital realm, it's not just about taking the processes uh, that are that that are physical and putting them into the digital environment, but it's also about getting to know your customers, getting to know, uh, scoring potential leads, uh, augmenting the data about you know, who the people are, uh, when they're doing certain things, what other ways that you can actually complement the data that you're extracting from uh, either customers or employees or others. And the large amount of data all has to work together. And so even if you transfer the physical processes onto the digital realm, uh, that still doesn't actually go the full way uh, from a digitization perspective. So uh, people will start exploring other opportunities about how to make their businesses much more predictable, much more efficient, uh, and um, better uh, by, uh, by making the overall processes uh, not only digital, but also much richer from a data perspective. Can you give me an example of a manual or inefficient business process that would benefit from data augmentation? Say I worked in finance yeah. or HR or sales. Um, be specific. Yeah, absolutely. So for example, let's say that you are onboarding a new customer. 
and you're, uh, or let's say you're onboarding a new employee. Let, uh, what you're asking them is to put in their information, let's say like their name and their, their first name and their last name. But you also have a large amount of that information already available to you, such as their social security number, potentially, uh, where their last place of work is, who their current manager is, uh, what their work schedules are, all sorts of different stuff like that. So pulling in all of that data from the different environments so that they are in a single place and available not only to the employee themselves, but also to the HR and to managers and how to do that in a way that's efficient. And then taking all of that information and putting it into your HR, uh, HRIS system, that's an example of uh, data augmentation. It's amazing that you're mentioning that because I can remember, oh gosh, almost 25 years ago in one of my first jobs after grad school, I was working at a large pharmaceutical company, I won't name which one, but they told me that roughly three out of five HR transactions had to be processed retroactively. And I said, I must not have heard you. You're telling me you've got a 60% failure rate. <laughs> the Six Sigma folks would have a field day. That's right. Yeah. No, I mean, that's exactly right. And it's all over the place like that, right? It's like it, the larger the amount of data that you're asking the humans to put in or transfer from one place to another, the larger the probability of uh, failure, to your point, right? Inconsistencies. Uh, and and then that data gets lost and has to be corrected afterwards. I couldn't agree more. And I'd also argue that there's, for lack of a better term, Boria, an employee morale factor. In other words, you're basically saying if you're an exempt employee, you don't get overtime. You can do this manually, right? We don't value you enough to invest. And again, I'm preaching to the choir here, but if it required... You know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in IT projects and all that, that'd be one thing. But people, in my opinion, don't appreciate the ease of these no and low code solutions. I mean, if you can operate a mouse. That's right. right you yeah, don't have to learn Python. Exactly right. You don't have to tap into an API. You don't have to do extensive research on webhooks. So I, I think that there's this misunderstanding out there that, oh, automation, I don't do automation. I'm not in IT. Well, you don't have to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I think that that is the biggest obstacle that we face is uh, giving people the understanding that that what's possible is easy. Because just to your point, they're like, they look at it and they're like, oh my God, you know, other people have told me that in order to do this, I need six months and a budget of like $100,000 in order to actually execute on that. And that was true 10 years ago. It's just not true anymore. And we've worked very hard in order to make these tools and processes uh, accessible to anybody that, to your point, can work a mouse. Uh, and uh, they don't need to write a single line of code. And this data can flow from one system to another system completely seamlessly without anybody ever touching a single keystroke. Going back to my HR system days and totally dating myself here, I remember my favorite program in, it was called Lawson. It was an early ERP in Fort Botham in 2005 or 2006, but Lawson shipped with applicant tracking capabilities, right? If you interviewed someone to your point from before, you captured name, social security number, address, whatever. And then I, remember, I even remember the name of the program. It was PA 52.4 that effectively converted the employee 
I'm sorry, the applicant to the employee and all that information to flow across. And you can even do it as a batch job, right? So if you identified 10 employees or 20 employees or whatever, that would all happen. But to your point, it's so much more powerful now. Can you talk a little bit about some of the trends that have made it more powerful, easier, and cheaper? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the biggest trend is uh, the rise of the open API. Uh, every SaaS uh, application now comes pretty standard with an open API against which you can you can build either uh, integration uh, add-ons or you know full applications, right? And I mean, I think that that's been the standard for the last you know five years at least. Actually, I've seen a statistic that says that I think. 65 or 70 percent of the traffic of the internet traffic is actually api traffic oh, wow. uh, right now and it's growing much faster than human traffic on the internet it becomes much more a conversation between bots than it is a conversation between humans uh and i think that 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 is a trend which is massive um so the ability to connect all of these disparate systems together through an open api and uh, through a unified authentication system, OAuth, uh, which is the de facto standard and has been for the last, you know, call it five years or something. Uh, what that enables you to do is it enables you to connect to the systems through OAuth, tell the system what to do without having to actually program, and then be able to empower the end user in order to manipulate that API not through a terminal, but through an interface, which we provide as a vendor or as a tool or something like that. So, I mean, I think those are uh, the two major uh, trends. And I think that in part, it's also the sassification of businesses. I just made that word up. Uh, that, that doesn't, that word, the sassification is not, doesn't exist as a word, but you know, it's like an average enterprise runs on 120 SaaS applications, 120 SaaS applications. I mean, you know, like I hire senior leaders into uh, Airstream, into my organization. And, you know, in the last two to three years, it seems that uh, the interviews are less about what the job is about and more about, you know, oh, I know how to work this tool and I know how to implement this tool in your organization. You know, like if it's a CFO, oh, by the way, you know, I've had experience with, you know, Snowflake or I've had experience with, you know, whatever, like NetSuite or something like that. And it's almost like the C-level executives and the VP-level executives are becoming administrators of these SaaS applications, which the business runs on. And, you know, that really if you step back and think about the amount of change that that actually required, right? So it's almost like the SaaS applications, which the businesses run on are the business themselves. It is what we do, right? Like finances is not a model of finances, but it's basically what's in that system of record, what's in NetSuite or what processes NetSuite runs uh, or QuickBooks or whatever it is, right? And so the, that trend, I think, really calls into question of like, how do you push, pull these systems together and how do you make unified, coherent, consistent, compliant, secure workflows that work between these walled gardens of these SaaS applications, which 
the modern business is uh, run on. I couldn't agree more. And as I listen to you talk and think about what AirSlate is doing, it occurs to me that there's a parallel between workplace automation and home automation, for lack of a better term. So just for an example, if I've got an Alexa Echo at home and a Samsung smart TV, I can say, Alexa, turn on my living room TV, which of course is probably going on right now since I'm recording this at home. Um, And I'm not even all that hooked into home automation. I've seen some folks that connect 32 different devices. They walk in, the garage door opens, right? The lights turn on at night, the coffee maker starts, whatever it happens, they've tied all these things together without having to know any code. Um, And I think about that in the sense that I've done some home automation, not as much as others, but maybe more than some, and think to myself, why am I constantly keying information into multiple systems? Why can't my enterprise apps, and I'm a small business owner, talk to each other, right? I mean, I wrote a book in 2011 or 2010 called The New Small about how small businesses using SaaS, using open source software, et cetera, were taking advantage of these new technologies. That was a decade ago, right? I'm just surprised that more organizations don't, especially given what's going on, say, how can we do this better? Yeah, we need to get through the next six months, a year, whatever, but hopefully things will go back to normal somewhat. But is there a way to fundamentally improve the way we do things through automation? I'm surprised that more people aren't asking the question. And, you know, I think one of the reasons for why more people aren't asking the question, I had this really interesting conversation with a friend of mine that runs a hedge fund that invests in a lot of these like vertical SaaS applications and other SaaS applications. It's a pretty large hedge fund, you know, billions of dollars under management. And uh, these SaaS applications, they seem to be growing like weeds, you know, and I think that uh, especially in the enterprise. And I think that one of the things which is missing from the SMB sector uh, that is present in the enterprise is that the enterprise has figured out that this is not a cost. This actually is a revenue generation tool that, you know, because of the massive ROI that you get out of it, it's not that you're like improving efficiency. That's not what's happening. What's happening is that these tools are actually generating cash for you by knowing more about your customers, by being able to reach out to them again and again, and you know, sell them something that you or uh, you know that you create a new uh, from a marketing side by being able to maintain close relationships with customers from a sales side and a CRM side by being able to predict future revenue and invest where you think that future revenue will provide you with higher ROI on the finance side, that all increases the top line. It doesn't actually just increase the, you know, your earnings, it increases the revenue. And I think that that is fundamentally what's missing from the SMB mindset when they think about investing in automation tools. They think that investing in automation tools is going to make them a little bit more efficient and a little bit more profitable. But that's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen is it's going to make your whole business bigger because you're going to have to you're going to have an increased funnel that you can process much more efficiently and gain much more revenue, not only better earnings. Hmm. I would imagine that one of the other benefits is getting back to your point on data augmentation, the ability to institutionalize knowledge 
And by that, I mean, and again, my new book is about the benefits of embracing hubs and spokes and collaboration and automation is certainly a part of that. But think about all the institutional knowledge that walks out the door because your head of sales had everything in email or in his or her head versus in more of a knowledge base, more of a collaboration hub. So if your new head of sales takes over, he or she might be able to see some of the interactions. And yeah, that might be documented in the CRM or another type of um, way. But it occurs to me that that's a way of mitigating the risk of a key employee walking out with a ton of knowledge that is forever gone. That's exactly right. And I think that uh, even beyond that, like, you know, when you look at private financing and the massive amount of dollars that are going into the, these private financing of SaaS applications and of other businesses, what you see is that investors look to these automation systems and these systems of record as necessary must-haves for risk mitigation because it provides them with the ability to say, like, to your point, you know, what if person X walks out the door? Where's the historical data on your, you know, churn? Where's the historical data on your, like, revenue and customers and employees and all of that sort of stuff? So it becomes a necessary must-have to present yourself as a business to the outside world and therefore make other people that are outside be comfortable with investing in future growth. Um, and it, you know, it's, it becomes like a, almost a compliance thing, uh, especially on how you run the business and on what investment you actually uh, can uh, bring in and what valuation you command because of that. It seems like progressive companies and progressive leaders recognize that there's this potential flywheel effect as well. By that, I mean, we've automated a bunch of manual processes. Okay, maybe we had a couple of mistakes, but we're seeing the benefits. What else could we automate? Have you seen that in your experience as well? Absolutely. That is actually, you've hit upon the thesis behind AirSlate, actually. One of the things that holds back people from automating more uh, and digitizing more is simply the marginal cost of the automation of the next workflow or of the next process. Because if you look at a lot of our competitors, the majority of them, they're very enterprise focused. And they're like, well, it doesn't matter. The ROI for the enterprise is more than $100,000. So we're not going to work hard in making that you know, marginal cost of automation lower than that. And I think that that really restricts the market significantly, uh, not only for SMBs, but also for the next, to your point, the next iteration of the automation cycle that you want to do, because you're like, that was really, really painful. Like six months and a hundred thousand dollars later, you know, we got something to work and we're not going to blow on it because, you know, maybe it'll like run away and maybe it'll fall apart and stuff like that. We're just going to like make, you know, keep our fingers crossed and make sure that everything works the way that we set it up. So what we've done is we've decreased the marginal cost of creating the next automation uh, iteration from you know, tens of thousands of dollars, or in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars, to hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars, uh, equivalent in human time. Basically, in 15 to 30 minutes, you can reconstruct the workflow that you've just you know, created and then try it. And I think that that's what's missing from this whole market is that it's an evolution. Automation, digitization, 
it's not an end uh, in and of itself. It's an evolution of things that you're continuously thinking of doing next. And, uh, and the lower the cost of that iteration, the faster you're going to get to like the next hill and the next option. Couldn't agree more. Borea, I'll get you out of here on this. What book are you currently reading? I am uh, reading Inspired by, by Mark Kagan about how to build products uh, and how to create uh, you know, high-performing product uh, teams. Good stuff. Well, thanks for taking the time. I really enjoyed it. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.